Tyler Smith here with another More Than One Lesson mini-sode. Uh, before we get started, I wanted to remind everybody that the film Fragments of Truth uh, is going to be playing for one night only on Tuesday, April 24th in theaters around the country uh, as a function of Fathom Events. So you can go to the Fathom Events website and buy your tickets. Um, after that, it will be available uh, on Faith Life TV, our sponsor for More Than One Lesson. So uh, be sure to check out that uh, that documentary in it. Uh, Dr. Craig Evans searches for the answers to the ever-present and challenging question, can we really trust the Bible? And along the way, uh, he highlights groundbreaking new evidence demonstrating that the case for the re reliability of the New Testament manuscripts is stronger than ever. So uh, be sure to check out Fragments of Truth. Okay, but I'll tell you the truth we need to tell now. Now, I don't know how to how to transition to that. Uh, Josh Long is here. Josh, how you doing? That's the truth, and I'm sticking to it. Sure. That a, That's not the phrase. Uh, no, it's not. That's the truth and nothing but the truth. That's that's a phrase. So help me, kind Josh. <laughs> there you go. Um, that's a good segue. We should have just stuck on with that. Ugh. You always think of it afterwards. Anyway. I know. Um, okay, so we're talking about the best picture winner of 1949. We are into 49. the 40s now. Sure are. Very exciting. Yeah. So, World War II and such. What have you. Yeah. You know. Anyway, so uh, <laughs> we're, yes, we're definitely getting into the section where I now need to start watching movies for the first time. <laughs> this is not one of them. I've seen, I saw this movie back yeah. in, uh, in high school and several times since then. And you've read the book as well. I have, and it Which is, I, I not. say, my favorite book of uh, all time. It is there a marvelous you go. Book. I'm, I'm interested to uh, hear about the, like differences the, the compare and contrast between the book and the, cause I don't, I know watching the film again, which I, you know, did in preparation. I was wondering a lot about the book. Like I was wondering what kind of things are included, what things are glossed over and so on and so forth. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we are talking about Robert Rosson, Rosen, Rosson, probably there's two, two S's. S's. I think Rosson. Yeah. Robert Rosson's all the King's men based on the book by Robert Penn Warren. Uh, the film won Best Picture, Actor, and Supporting Actress. It was nominated for Director, Supporting Actor, Screenplay, and Editing. Um, yeah, and it's the story of Willie Stark, a, uh, uh, a humble man who becomes governor of... I don't think they specify in the... They in don't the movie. specify, but it's it kind of looks like Louisiana. It's meant, to, it's be meant to be Huey Long, yeah. so... Yeah. Um, you don't run across a whole lot of accents in the movie though. Like they're all There's, kind of standard Midwestern accents. Yeah, pretty much everybody. And, uh, uh, the, the like upscale people at Burden's Landing over where his, that yeah. all feels like Martha's Vineyard, even though it's sure, sure. Definitely supposed yeah. to be kind of 
I mean, it's supposed to be a hick state because he's yeah. always talking to the hicks. So it's probably yeah. supposed to be in the South, but I guess yeah, things like that exist in the South, which definitely, I will say this, uh, in talking about the differences between the book and the film, uh, the book is just written in a very beautiful purple prose mm. and based on, and it's first person, it's Jack Burden writing <laughs> about, okay. uh, his experiences with, uh, Willie Stark and, the way that he, and the thing is the character himself is a writer. And so it makes right. sense that he would write in this way and the way he describes the weather, the way, you know, it's just like, all right, it sounds like, I feel like I need to take a shower and turn on the <laughs> air conditioning, just reading this. Um, because it just, it just, it's just, it's that humidity yeah. and yeah. Uh, and then as far as story beats, it's pretty much the same. Hmm, okay. It just goes into more detail. detail right. Uh, and there are some like montages throughout the movie where I'm like, I'm sure there's more here yes. about like when Willie Stark's giving more speeches and how right. he's ramping people up and everything. There is a section of the book that is beautiful. And I, I adore Robert Penn Warren's choice to incorporate it. It has nothing to do with the story but everything to do with the Jack Burden character hmm. where essentially he before, like long before he got involved in politics, I think he was writing a book about an old ancestor of his. Okay. And there is not merely a chapter, like an entire part of the book oh, wow. dedicated to him talking about this ancestor. Hmm. And it's just, it's a really beautiful story in and of itself but his choice to incorporate it just speaks to who he is as a person and why he makes the choices that he makes. He never mm. says it. He never says, I did this because I was reminded of this thing. Right. It's not like that. You have to make those connections yourself, but they are there. Mm. And it's, it's just fascinating. Mm. Um, and I can't recommend the book highly enough. It is, you know, one thing about, I'd say the movie and the book on its surface is that there's so much cynicism mm -hmm. and you kind of feel like nobody really is capable of love, uh, <laughs> or anything like that. Yeah. And in the book, you really get the sense that all of these people that we're seeing depicted, that they're all damned basically. Mm. Um, I don't mean in a spiritual sense, although I guess probably that too. Um, but just they're damned to be alone hmm. and be lonely and drive other people away and make themselves miserable their whole lives. Like it would seem to be that way, but then the way the book ends, uh, you know, it, there's definitely much more of an epilogue hmm. and the way that it ends suggests that there is a hope there hmm. and that these characters don't necessarily have to be defined by some of the things that we've read previously. And, uh, I just, I, I can't re recommend the book highly enough. Cause that, that doesn't feel so much like that's the way the film ends. The film seems to have much more of a yeah. kind of dark, uh, pure tragic ending. Yes. Yeah. The, the movie definitely feels a bit Shakespearean. Yeah. It, certainly as far as that goes. Cause I mean, Stark goes down and the movie's basically over. Yeah. It's, it's like his head tilts yeah. out of the frame and the end comes yeah. up to replace it. Um, you know, so you remember that, uh, that delightful project, the walk of life project <laughs> yes. where somebody puts dire straits, walk of life over various endings, which is genius. Yes. Uh, I always thought it'd be funny if any movie that 
not any movie. You, you have to pick certain movies that where it says the end. Mm-hmm. If you just like add a question mark, <laughs> like it says the end. And then after about three seconds, a question mark goes up because you've seen it in certain types of playful right. old timey movies. And I feel like it'd be funny if they did that with like all the King's men. <laughs> and you're just like, wait, what? <laughs> what else could there be? <laughs> Is Willie Stark going to come back from the dead? What's, what's going on here? Um, I think it would be a, a fun project, but, um, <laughs> Anyway, so, uh, yeah, I saw the film, I don't remember how I had heard of it, but it sounded very much like the kind of thing I, as a high school theater student would enjoy. I think I arrived there because I thought there might be some good monologues Mm -hmm. that I could do. Um, (laughs) and there, and indeed there is one, um, that, uh, that I, I don't think I ever wound up doing it cause it was a little bit too contextual, but, but yeah, that's how I arrived there. And it's, it's very much the cynicism of the book is simplified quite a bit for the film. And it's the, and it's simplified in a way that a, an 18 year old Tyler Smith <laughs> would enjoy. Could, could really jump on, you yeah. know? Um, and one that yes is rooted in reality. This was inspired by uh, Huey Long, uh, the very corrupt governor of Louisiana. And so I don't mean to say that the film is a little bit juvenile in its depiction of corruption. I don't think it is that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it definitely is. It, it's a Mister Smith goes to Washington type of like, you know the like actual corruption is probably much more complex than this. Yeah. Um, where I think the film really delves into like human complexity is in the relationships. Yes. Specifically, I'd say the character of Sadie played by Mercedes McCambridge in her Mm -hmm. Oscar winning role, uh, is such a fascinating character and the way she relates to other people. Like there's, a real bite to her and the way she assesses other people and the way they look at each other. It feels like that feels very modern to me. Yeah, it definitely does. I think the, the first time she's showing up in the film, she, the, the first real conversation you see with her when she sits down with, yeah. uh, with, uh, Jack and he's trying to get out of her what's actually happening. Cause he knows that the, the politicians in the back pulling the strings are up to something with, yeah. with, uh, Stark and, yeah, her her whole demeanor and dialogue in that scene is really is really pretty great and and feels very modern, like you said. And you know, and that's the thing is, in many ways, she's kind of the 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 tough talking broad of that era. But what she says is so uncomfortable and just and just cuts to the core. It's not like even though Mercedes McCambridge is kind of giving that type of fun performance there is a lot of genuine bitterness and poison to what she says. Yeah, definitely. That, that is, it, it keeps you from fully enjoying the character as a movie character. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and yeah, as Willie Stark, Broderick Crawford won best actor. And I really think that you, cause he is a very, he is a decent guy at the beginning who really just wants to do good things. And I think there is still some of that, but not unlike actual uh, historical figures like Huey Long, like I would say, in my opinion, Richard Nixon, like you get so focused on 
keeping power so that you can do good things that before, you know, like, Oh, I haven't thought about these good things in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's interesting how there are notes even early on about him being a little of a, a solipsist, if that's the right word where he's sure. like, it, it doesn't surprise you that he becomes a sort of person who is known as looking out for number one. Yeah. And it's, and it really is from a, from a writing standpoint, but also from a performance standpoint, like you need to be able to see a progression from one thing to another. If you, if you jump too quickly mm-hmm. and admittedly there is a, there is a time jump because this is from the point of view of Jack and yeah. he, he leaves Willie for a while and then comes back. And by the time he's back, Willie has started, has made a definite change, yeah. but we also need to see the seeds of that change earlier on. And I think we do. And so like, yeah it would be very easy for Broderick Crawford to overplay any of these beats and just play like, no, he was always kind of corrupt, but just didn't have the opportunity or yeah. even as he's corrupt, he's still kind of like, well, you just need to see that this is just a guy who has in him the potential for good or bad mm-hmm. and then makes a series of choices. Yeah. And with each choice he makes, he moves a little bit further to this side and you need to see each of those choices. And I think it's a, a really, really brilliant performance. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, so I've seen the film many times. You just rewatched it. Yeah. Just, um, did just you, a few nights ago. did you like it? It's a film that people don't talk about. Yeah. I feel like it doesn't get talked about too much. Uh, one, because there's, there's not a lot of actors in it who went on to be True. Or who, who are remembered today in the same way as like a, uh, you know, we just did all about Eve as like a, 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 who am I trying to say? Betty Davis. Betty Davis did. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think that's one thing I think, uh, same, same with the filmmaker. Um, yeah, that's I, I'm true. very unfamiliar with Robert Rawson. Uh, it, it, one might say entirely unfamiliar. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, and, uh, it doesn't have, uh, it doesn't have anything else about it. Like it doesn't have a, like there's this one scene where something happens or they're like, right. there's a, or, or like genre elements that would draw people to it. So there there's besides the best picture thing, there's not a lot of things to draw people to a film that's 60 years old. Yeah. Ex- I mean, okay. I see what you mean. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not to suggest the film is not good. Exactly. It's just one of those things. Like when we think of, like a hook, mm-hmm. you know, there's a reason that like when people, when they start to look at older movies, they usually start with noir mm-hmm. because that has a hook, certainly stylistically, but also from a character standpoint. And it has had such an influence on film and art in general since then. Yeah. But this is a, it's a political drama. And so the only real hook it has is that it won best picture and maybe maybe the big speech where the character is talking about like a hick, like how he's a hick and they're all hicks and all that kind of thing. It's that type of, you know, it's, it's a little bit Howard Beale esque from Mm -hmm. network. So if you look at it that way, maybe that's a hook, but honestly, yeah, I, I know what you mean. It's, it's, 
it's like, you know, gentleman's agreement, but even that has sure. Gregory Peck in it. Yeah. Right. And it's, uh, at the same time is kind of funny that people aren't talking more about it now when we have such a populist, yes. Huey Long was a populist. Willie Stark was set up to be here. Here is somebody like Huey Long, a populist. And yeah. uh, I think any savvy political commentator now can recognize Donald Trump as a populist. Yes. So, so I'm kind of surprised that more people aren't talking about it in that context, especially because, uh, the film's not so, uh, not so hot about <laughs> Willie Stark. doesn't really yeah. uh, present him as a very, uh, savory type of person. So you would think people would be quick to make that comparison, except I guess maybe it's a comparison to that uh, your man on the street might not get the reference. Right. Um, But there are, the similarities are kind of striking even watching it again, like uh, down to things like the paper saying, Oh, we've, we gave this guy too much traction. We're not going to cover him anymore. Like that's, that's why Jack eventually has to stop writing about him. Um, uh, Yeah. There's a, there's a, there's a lot of similarities and you can understand why, uh, uh, well, so, okay. So the book was written obviously earlier mm-hmm. and, and I would, I would imagine, I don't know exactly when the book came out, but I would imagine it was written closer to the time after Huey Long had been assassinated, which yes. was in the thirties. Um, and I can see again, why it might be popular now because of, uh, current political climate and, and similarities to specifically the Trump campaign, but, or the Trump administration, I guess. But I'm wondering why exactly it came out in 49, why there was, I was trying to kind of look up and see, cause there was an election in 48. That was the Dewey Truman one. Yeah. But I don't know anything about Tom Dewey. I don't know if he was a, uh, I don't think he was like, for, by all accounts, he was not uh, a dynamic person or a dynamic yeah. speaker. Um, yeah, I'm not really sure exactly. Um, except that, you know, this is when I was, uh, TAing for film history, I was talking about post-war America and that you saw, you know, that's when you really got a rise in film noir, but, and people think about like, you know, the rise of film noirs in the U S specifically is this idea that, yeah, after a good war that we won, you know, Hey, everyone's the country's back on its feet economically. And the guys are coming back home. Families are starting. Everything's good. But film noir suggests like, no, there's still some dark stuff. In fact, maybe as a function of the war that we're not dealing with. And I actually think that it's spread to more than just more. I think, you know, you got stuff like best years of our lives, but then you got, got stuff like the lost weekend. Mm -hmm. You got previously, uh, discussed, uh, not discussed, but the, aforementioned uh, gentleman's agreement yeah and and then something like this you have i think as a function of the horrors uh, the true horrors of world war ii i think you had filmmakers willing to engage with generally the darker elements of humanity whether yeah. it be bigotry alcoholism uh you know uh PTSD or, or any kind of war fatigue that a person might have and political corruption. And then of course yeah. the year after you have something like all about Eve and sunset Boulevard. Mm-hmm. Um, this same year you have the third man, yeah. which suggests, which is like one of the darkest films about post world war two that I think you could find. Yeah. And so I think it was, I think just, it was kind of 
I think you saw a lot more quote unquote important movies Mm -hmm. come along because I think though there were still bigger movies and and fluff movies that were still very popular, I think Hollywood was just like, all right, I think we need to grow up a little bit. Mm -hmm. And if you did have a lot of people, I mean, like the characters in a film, like the best years of our lives, if you have a lot of America coming back, feeling a a little bit darker about the world in general, because of these things that, that kind of makes sense. And another thing, that could be another reason for a movie like this at a time like this is if America was in fact turning a lens on itself to say, okay, the bad stuff over there is done, but what about bad stuff that might be happening here? Right. The, the rise of a populist candidate who creates his own army and everything like that doesn't look a whole lot different than Hitler. And when you can say this is based on somebody who was here before Hitler was Hitler, that, that's an important, if it's an, if you're in America where we're saying maybe we need to think a little bit about what's going on here, there's yeah. a perfect example of how something could have gone badly here in the same way. And I do wonder if maybe some of it was a response to Truman. Truman was very popular, but he was like, you know, this down home guy who came to power. And one of the things that he not necessarily a tyrant, but he's the only guy that ever dropped an atomic bomb, two of them, no less. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wonder if maybe it was a response and he was kind of a, a, a he wasn't necessarily populist, but he was dynamic and likable. Uh, maybe it was that I'm not really sure. Um, maybe it's a combination of all of these things. Mm-hmm. And of course it's in a way it's a bummer that like, given what the film is warning about, it didn't quite stop us from in, falling into the McCarthy era, you know, yeah. which is very much, uh, a certain type of populism, you know, mm-hmm. based in fear and that sort of thing. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it is a, a really remarkable film. I'm sorry. I think, I, I think we got derailed. I was asking what you thought oh, of yeah. when you rewatched um, it. I mean, I was thinking about the, the cultural context right. of it. And so that was interesting. Um, I, I think, uh, I'm mostly, I can't think of anything else that I know Broderick Crawford for. Am I forgetting something? He was in the first Born Yesterday, if you ever saw it. They remade it in the 90s with John Goodman in the Broderick Crawford role, of course. Is is that the one where it's like a a gangster who's... Who's like mall or whatever, mole. Yeah. He wants to get her like educated. Smart, yeah. Yeah. Okay, yes. I I think I have seen that one, but it's been a while. He's the gangster, I have to assume. Yeah. Um, and I think he was in some Westerns, but yeah, he wasn't, Probably. he wasn't remarkably well known. He was just a working character. Actor. Yeah. I can't, I can't call out something, you know, with him, something else that he's in, uh, right off the top of my head, but he's great in this movie. I think yeah. he's, it's a really great performance. And like you were saying earlier, it's got those hints early on that like, maybe there's more to this guy than just being a, a, a down home man of the people or something. Yeah. And, um, you know, to the point where you, you believe that he believes that the ends justifies, justify the means for everything. And yeah. he's not like, he, he fully believes he's out to do something good. And it feels like that, that feels real. Yeah. Um, so that's good. Uh, some, of, well, some of the interplay between like him and Anne and Jack, um, so for either people who haven't seen the movie, people that don't remember, uh, the reporter character Jack is is seemingly in love with this girl Anne that he knew from when he was younger, but then mm-hmm. she becomes kind of uh, obsessed with Willie Stark, and then it's you know in a very old Hollywood uh, wholesome way alluded yeah. to that they're having an affair. Um, so 
some of the interplay between all that slows the movie down a little bit in the, in the middle. Yeah. But the, the mere idea of including something like that in a, again, wholesome Hollywood movie from the forties is, is I think probably brave at the time. And I think it's interesting that they're, cause and it speaks to who Willie Stark is that like, right. if you get close to him, he just brings you in one way or another, yeah. like however he wants you is how you will be pulled in. Yeah. Whether it be he's attracted to you or he wants you on his team or whatever it is like, he's just, he just has his own orbit. You yeah. Know? And even the, like, I feel like maybe the weakest character is the Adam Stanton character who is, uh, yeah. Anne's brother because he tends to be the, the voice of reason that comes right. out to be like, well, what about this Mr. Stark? But yeah. even he is continually suckered in. Like he does yeah. keep coming back. He does even after all these bad things have happened and he's seen, you know, he knows a lot of uh, how the sausage is made. Yeah. Uh, he agrees to come back to the hospital and uh, you know, all, all, all these kind of things. So, so cause almost everybody, yeah, almost everybody, including him, who's something of an idealist. There's like, but look how much good is being, it can be done. Like, right. yes, I know that bad things are being done, but because I know I will be able to navigate that and do good things, uh, with it. Right. And yeah, it's, it, it is maybe like the perfect film about how, like just the corrupting nature of power. Yeah. And, uh, very, poignant for our current times, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I'd say the, there's a lot of people who were on board the Trump train just cause they thought, well, he, we, we can use this to get something yeah. that might be good. Yeah. Um, people talked even, about that with like the Supreme court all yeah. the time. Yeah. Um, yeah, it definitely is a film that I think needs to be seen. I also really like the judge character. I think he's mm -hmm. really well written, really well performed. It's a really solid part of the book as well. Um, and you just see like this, I, these, you know, everybody at some point is being faced with a choice of, mm -hmm. okay, you're being confronted with something you have done or something you could do. And so now what are you going to do? Yeah. And the judge makes a very specific choice that runs counter to what everybody else wants to do, uh, yeah. what everybody else does. And so, yeah, it's, uh, it's, you know, I would, I would highly recommend the book. I know that you're a reader and I think, you know, it's a thick book. It took me a while to get through, but I was happy that when I did, because, you know, it just kept, it just kept working, you know? Yeah. Um, they it's just find one new I beats would, to play. Yeah. It's definitely one I'd like to, to get around to. Uh, okay. So looking at other best picture nominees, 1949, a letter to three wives, battleground, the heiress and 12 o'clock high. I have seen none of them. <laughs> Me neither. I'm glad that f so some of the ones we've done recently, it's been years since I've seen, and I have a little yeah. bit of trouble talking about them with any kind of, uh, authority, I guess. But the next thing I would like to be able to do for some of these, when we talk about them is to see at least one of the yeah. other movies, this keeps yeah. happening. We can make no comparison. I mean, uh, I know what 12 o'clock, what 12 o'clock high is. Yeah. Beyond that, I, I really couldn't tell you. I think I own 12 o'clock high. Oh no, I did. <laughs> I, I acquired the DVD without watching it. Uh, and then I think I just got rid of it. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what happens. But, um, um, I battleground probably is another world war two one. Stands I would reason, assume, yeah. but letter to three wives, no idea. The heiress, no idea. 
Yeah. So, you know, I feel bad about that. Um, I know the 12 o'clock high has, uh, Gregory Peck in it. Mm -hmm. That's all I got. Um, but looking at other 1949 films that were not nominated, you get a lot of notable films. You've got mm -hmm. Adam's rib, you have, uh, Africa screams, mm -hmm. um, a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's court. You have the adaptation of the fountainhead, uh, Kind Hearts and Coronets, which which is a delight. The Kind Hearts and Coronets, that's the first one here we're talking about that I've seen, I think. I haven't seen Adam's Rip or Africa Screams. Uh, I've seen the Inspector General, which is on here also. But uh, the, the Fountainhead always makes me think somebody at some point, you know what I'm going to say? Yeah, yeah. They, they, there was a video uh, somebody put out on the internet where they said... The fountainhead in five seconds yeah, or something and it, like that. It's just Gary Cooper saying, I am an architect. Well, no, it's, it's a not, guy saying like... Howard Rourke, you will never be an architect. And oh, yeah. It just kind of seems like, I'm, I'm an, architect. an architect. And that's the, the end. end. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's hilarious. Uh, Yasujiro Ozu's Late Spring uh, came I out. I haven't seen. It's marvelous. Uh, On the Town, Samson the and town Delilah. I've seen. Uh, Sands of Iwo Jima is really great. That I haven't seen. I'm a big seen. fan of it. Uh, the Setup, which is a fun noir boxing movie. Mm. She wore a yellow ribbon. Is they that a live, John Wayne movie? Yeah. Okay. Uh, they Live by Night, which I've never seen, but I've heard great things about. Yeah. Uh, White Heat with uh, James Cagney. I have seen that. Uh, Made It Ma, Top of the World. I believe that's White Heat. That's a good one. It is a good that's one. That's a good gangster movie. Uh, you know, I've never seen, I've seen Angels with Dirty Faces and I've mm -hmm. seen White Heat. I've never seen Public Enemy. Um, and I've, and that's the one that people talk about, like him yeah. smashing a grapefruit into his girlfriend's face and stuff <laughs> like that. I think I've seen that one, but I can't remember now. If I have, it's been a long time. Um, but then, of course, there is The Third Man, hmm. which is a film that film people still talk about. Yeah. Many consider to be like a top 10 film. Um, and I think I would probably give I think I'd probably go with that. Um, but you know, at the time it was kind of a genre film. There's some noir in there. There's yeah. some espionage in there. Um, and I think it did well, but, uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure if anybody would say it was quite as important as something like all the King's men. Yeah. Um, but since then I think it has shown itself to be just as important, especially, you know, if, if you want to look at somebody like a Willie Stark, it's like, give him enough time. He could wind up at Harry Lyme. Yeah. Um, and so I think watching them together, would be uh, pretty interesting, but yeah, that would be an interesting, I also recommend Adam's rib, which I haven't seen either, but I, I like the, the, what I've seen of the, uh, the Cag, uh, I'll start to say Cagney, Tracy, and Hepburn. The Tracy Hepburn ones. I like what I've seen. Uh, and then I also do really recommend late spring. It's, uh, mm. I've, I've seen very little Ozu, but I, I think I've only seen that in Tokyo story. I love mm. both of them. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, uh, I'm perfectly fine with all the King's men winning best picture, uh, especially since I haven't seen the other four nominees. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to um, have a strong opinion, but you know, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen it, it's something I think you should see. It's uh, it is, I think a very rewarding mm -hmm. film experience. And it's one that maybe the only reason you've arrived at it is because we're doing this episode because it won best picture. Um, but unlike some of the other movies that have won best picture and do not deserve any kind of discussion, mm -hmm. um, all the King's men really does, uh, you know, watch the film. It was remade, it not remade, but they, the, it was adapted again in 2006. I didn't see that version by all accounts. It was horrible. <laughs> uh, 
which is interesting to me because part of me is like, okay, well, I'd like to know in what ways it was horrible. So I, I would like to look it up. Yeah. Uh, Sean Penn plays Willie Stark in that. And I could see, and I think they do more of the Louisiana thing. So everybody's like doing an accent mm, and maybe, so I'd be, I'd be curious. I could see them trying to go back to the book and maybe as a result being like way too overdone. Uh, yeah. Not that the book is, but if you do it wrong, it could be. Yeah. So I could see that. And, and I think it points to uh, an interesting historical thing too. If you don't, we've mentioned in the episode a few times already, Huey Long, who's the character that right. Willie Stark is based on. And much of what happens in the, in the book and the film, it comes straight out of yeah. real life. So that's an, that's an interesting episode of uh, American history. If you're not aware of it. Yeah. And, uh, and we rarely uh, end these with a recommendation of both a movie and a book. But once again, uh, I believe the I believe the book won the Pulitzer Prize. I think it did. Yeah. Um, and what I will say is, yes, uh, Robert Penn Warren like was clearly inspired, not, not literally inspired, <laughs> but he was uh, whatever you want to say. I'll say inspired. He was inspired by the life of. Huey Long, uh, to write something. But what I like is that he didn't simply say like, all right, we're going to do a lightly fictionalized version of Huey Long. Like he really just used that and was very specific about it, but chose to go to, to expound, use that and expound upon it to talk about even bigger things, Mm -hmm. uh, which I think is, is a novel approach and a really fascinating uh, achievement. Um, and then lastly, what I'll say is the film primary, the book primary colors, and then the film, uh, they are, uh, it has been suggested, uh, by many people that, um, that primary colors is, sort of a, a modern retelling of all the Kingsmen. Hmm. Um, and, but it is also a fictionalized version of the Clinton campaign yeah. in 1991 and two. Uh, and then the main character's name is Henry Burton, not as opposed to Jack Burden. Hmm. Um, and it's very, it's about like this down home guy who wants to do good things, but he's got his own foibles and his own problems and he's willing to, really screw up the system so that he can get in power and then do those good things that maybe he'll wind up doing. Maybe he won't, but, uh, it's a really, um, and it'll, and both films, uh, both stories feature somebody who kills themselves, uh, rather than compromise. And, uh, I'm a big fan of primary colors. I haven't read the book, but I'm a big fan of the, uh, of the movie. And so it'd be a fun little, companion film if you wanted to watch the original all the king's men and then the 1998 primary colors yeah. and then get really really cynical <laughs> so anyway um all right so we will go ahead and leave it there thank you everybody for listening josh thanks for being here you're welcome and we'll get you next time bye